So we're going to continue worship in the Word this morning, and we're going to wrap up this series we've been in for eight weeks um, called Questioning Faith. And I don't know how the journey has been for you. Um, this is our final group uh, meeting for family groups as well this week. Uh, some groups may continue to meet at their own choice. That's up to the groups, but this is the official end of the curriculum that we're going to be providing. And it's been quite a journey to walk through and, and ask these questions of faith um, just for grins, we've done it every week. I'm just going to run through here. The things we've covered, it, it, starting at the base of, like, is there a God at all? Um, is the Bible true? What's so special about Jesus? I love that last song that we sang, Praise God for the Worship of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's so, so beautiful uh, to me. And, and um, where is God now, the Holy Spirit's work? What is the church? That's what we're talking about right now, actually, how we equip and uh, empower leaders to go into the harvest field for Christ. Um, why are we here, and, and how does life end? We talked about last week, and it was a weird week to talk about, but like end-of-life issues, really. Um, so one of the things that we realized and recognize is that many questions you may have of your own faith, and you might go, man, I really want to know. Like, I want the answer to this question. And, and I've, as I've continue to pray and talk to people and stuff, I've realized that everything we do is with a lot of humility. We, we claim all the time that God is God and we are not, and yet he's the revealer of himself to us. If, if we seek him, he'll give us wisdom, and so uh, that's always the way we do it here, but with humility, seeking God's wisdom, not our own understanding, and, uh, and so we've been trying to do that for the last few weeks, and hopefully it's been a blessing to you. Hopefully it's not the end of the conversation, but the beginning that was the attempt through all of this. By the way, this all started because of Summer Dedicated to Christ, where we went out and tried to talk to people about Christ, our faith in Jesus, and, and, and realized that conver having a conversation where we ask people questions is more effective than telling them what we think. Asking people, what do you believe, is more effective than telling them how to think. And so we were blessed by that, and I was blessed because Summer Dedicated to Christ actually manifests in this curriculum for our church, and I praise God for the work he's done through his people. I hope you hear the theme this morning. So we're going to actually praise when we're into God's word, and then we're going to talk about um, this kind of last leg of the journey here, week eight on questing faith. Please join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, we've come here just to talk to you today, to, to be in your presence, and you're always with us, and we know that. You're, you're, the story of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, is God with us. The story of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us and, and driving the sin from our life and Calling us into redemption is a story of you with us. And so today we don't come asking you to be here. We know you're present. We only ask that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel that you're preaching to the world. We pray we'd have minds that would be transformed by your word, a hearts that would be re-impassioned with the flame that you have put there. And we pray, Father, that, that this time, if no other, we could set aside the burdens. And Lord, we come here and we have things in our life that are knocking at the door, that are beckoning us to pay attention. And I pray that in all the noise, we never lose track of your voice, that we would know you more fully today than ever before. And for that work that only you can do, we give you thanks and praise. And we pray a prayer of, of um, thanks and confidence of the work that you have promised to do, in Jesus' name, amen. So this last week, the, the question that we have before us is, what is the end of faith? You know, it's a funny question in the series called Questioning Faith, but what is the end of faith itself? You know, faith is not eternal. 
Faith in and of itself is not an eternal matter. Sometimes it feels that way. If you're on a faith journey, you're like, Lord, how many more days must I have faith? But faith in and of itself is a transient issue. For many people, the last few years have been tumultuous. For many people, this week was tumultuous because we thought we knew what the future held and it didn't, things didn't go the way we expected, Right? And yet, someone made a great point. Um, this was really funny. Wednesday, someone said we got up and the earth was still rotating on its axis, you know. And the sky has not fallen and uh, life goes on. Sometimes we can become so self-focused that we think if things don't go the way they must go for me, they don't work anymore. This journey with Jesus is a journey of faith. If you look at the scripture and narrative, it's continuously about people stepping out in faith with God. It's always that way. God is always leading, calling us forward in faith. Last couple of years, you may have caught some people in the news. There were some, some, some groups that had done some math, and they thought they knew when the end times were coming. And they went around the whole nation faithfully preaching the day, the day. The days came and went and nothing happened. And yet, we follow Christ, who proclaims the same thing. Be ready. It's funny now that we're here in 2012, because you remember in 2010 and 11, there were movies made about 2012. It was going to be the end of everything. And as a matter of fact, maybe you heard the story about the Maya calendar ending on December 21st, 2012. Right? How many have heard that story? Probably all of you. Everyone's covered it. The Maya calendar. It's going to end in the 21st of December, 2012. What's going to happen the 22nd? And it's kind of funny, some of the places we go with these things, people who claim to believe nothing become very concerned about the possibility. They become very nervous about what might be. It's interesting that other cultures would influence us in such a way. One of the most helpful things that, that such discussions in, in culture in our, in our midst, the uncertainty, one of the most effective opportunities that exist there is to ask that question, what do we believe and are you ready for it? If it doesn't happen on the 21st, but the 20th, if everything were to change and not be the way you would expect, would you be okay well, I want to share um, with you scripture this morning, the, the truth of God's word. I, I love the Bible because it, it, it proclaims truth. It's God's revealed word to his people and thousands of generations, I mean thousands of years of people have, have come to it to seek wisdom and the God of the Bible to seek salvation. And so today I'm going to help to answer these questions, I hope, with scripture. Um, so this morning the first kind of question is when will faith end? Because the Bible says there will be an end to faith. I don't know if we talk about that a lot, but the Bible says there will come an end. This will sound familiar to you, but if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 13 with me, I would appreciate it. 1 Corinthians 13, many of you know this passage because it is preached or shared or read at weddings. Um, there's a few verses here that people love to take out and read, but we're going to kind of jump in there and read that uh, with a few other things. I'm going to start in verse 8. It's kind of after the part we most of us know. And we talked about this before in the series, but I wanted to hit it again because I want you to hear what the word says. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says in verse 8, Love never fails. Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, the knowledge will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect is gone. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Verse 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then what we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. This comes in this passage, that many of this section of Scripture that many of us know, and yet there's a reality that Paul says that there will come a day when you and I will know face to face. It's funny that it says knowledge will pass away, but knowledge of things that we don't know fully because there'll be no more doubt, no more wondering. He says we will see face to face. I love the next part of the verse. He says we will know fully as we are fully known. There will be this reality of, of, of God's presence, of his eternal perfect revelation that is alluded to in Scripture, that is pointed to by the prophets. And there is coming a day, Scripture says, when faith will end because we will know. I love this for many reasons. And I, right here at Family Bible Church, I learned one of my first lessons about this reality of God's eternity. And is this, I will not be allowed to preach forever. Some Saturdays, that's a really good thing, isn't it, Chris? It will cease. Because preaching will make no sense when everyone who is present with God knows. There'll be nothing more to proclaim of him. Because we will be in awe. I love that it says tongues will be silenced. I know Paul is dealing with spiritual gifts in the church, but I think there is going to be something that is awesome about God's presence that will not require words. So it's a double-edged thing because now I'm blessed to preach, but there will come a day, and maybe many of you are praying for this right now. You're like, oh, just make the preaching stop. <laughs> I know you're out there. It's okay. You can laugh about that. Just make all the preachers stop, Lord. I mean, there's coming a day when they're all going to shut up. I mean, I don't know how it's going to be a miracle. That's what's going to be a miracle when God silences the preachers. We love to talk. There's going to come a day when all the witnessing will stop. We did SDTC this summer, Summer Dedicated to Christ. We were out there, and we were trying to share our faith, and we were full of anxiety and concern, and we were trying it, and we felt like we did it wrong, and we had some blessing, and we had some struggle, and all that. There will come a day when you will no longer witness to anyone because you will be there present with God. That's what the Word says. Witnessing will stop. There will come a day when inviting people will stop. Right now, I feel like as a church, our job is to invite people into relationship with Christ, invite people to the table with us to eat, and enter into people's worlds where they live and breathe and be with them there. There's this reality of inviting, but there will come a day when the invitations will stop because the party will have begun. That's the reality. There will come a day when pleading will stop. I love that the Apostle Paul says, and he says it repeatedly, he says, so today be conformed. Today believe. Today commit your life to Christ. And he begs with tears. 
If only you would believe. There will, in fact, come a day when all doubting will stop. I mean, and this is what, and I don't know if you taste that on Sundays. I don't know if you taste that in your car, if you're listening on the radio, or if you're in the shower. I mean, praise God for shower time, you know, because you can just, if, you, if your family loves you, you can just sing like a crazy person in the shower. Nobody makes fun of you for that. Because there's going to come a day where we're just going to be ecstatic. I mean, it's going to be a celebration. The end of faith is a big party, a big party. And where there's this worship and there's this presence and there's this reality and there's these people that we love and there's this beautiful time. It's an eternal party. The end of faith. What a celebration that will be. I mean, that's the exciting thing about worship. You taste and see. You begin to know. The exciting thing about missions or serving old community is you taste and see. You begin to know. You get little glimpses and flickers of the kingdom coming. You see it. But there will come a day when the party will be on and it will be everywhere eternally. Can you imagine the passion of being on a mission trip for the rest of eternity or the passion of singing your favorite song for the rest of eternity or the passion of knowing your Savior for the rest of eternity? It's going to be glorious, and it's coming. Now, many people in this series have been interesting because we've been trying to talk about this really from everyone's vantage point, and the reality is this. Some of you may say, well, I, I don't count because I don't have faith, and so there's no end of faith coming for me because I have no faith to start with. But the reality is this. Everyone believes in something. Everyone believes in something. As a matter of fact, here's a good definition of faith that I found. Faith is something that could be proven to be wrong in the future. I'll say that again. Faith is something that you believe that could be proven wrong in the future. This is why our earthly journey shakes us from time to time. The funny thing is this. I was looking, uh, I was you know, interacting on the internet, and I saw this quote from a, a forum, and I love this quote. I love honesty. If you don't know that about me, I love honesty. I believe God works through honesty. You know, when we can be honest with ourselves and honest with God and honest with each other, God uses that. He can't use us when we're lying or deceiving ourselves. And here was a quote that I thought was beautiful because it was honest. This person said this, as an agnostic Someone that sees only supporting evidence on both sides of the theist-atheist argument of whether or not God exists and sees no conclusive evidence in sight, I can only focus on trying to be a good person. It's a lot there, and I know I'm reading it and you're hearing it, but he's saying, as an agnostic person, someone who can't decide if I'm on the theistic side or the atheistic side, the only hope I have is to try to be a good person in this life, right? And he says this, this also allows me, though, to be a little less biased regarding my areas of belief. A little less biased, he says, than theist or atheist. And he puts in a parenthesis. Yes, believing there is no God is still a belief system that requires its own faith system. You can be an atheist your entire life, and you can die, and you can find out that there is a heaven, meaning you could find out that you were wrong the whole time. If you could have been wrong in that situation in the future, then you could be wrong right now. And you have to have faith that there is not a God because all of your conclusive evidence of what is proven is itself the only supporting evidence that you are allowing to prove that God does not exist. 
He's saying that every person believes something, and even him and his position is believing something. And he says, the way you can tell this is because you could be wrong. You could be wrong. Well, that leads me to my next question that I wanted to answer, which is, who will see the end of faith? Who will see the end of faith? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Um, mention one thing and then I want to get in another passage of scripture but this is a great question because um, there's this sense that we have that even if we're wrong and even if we, 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 uh, we can't believe that we're going to somehow make an argument on the other side of eternity I'll tell you where I, I see this I still you about it before but this was interesting Richard Dawkins is this like right now famous Christ, uh, athe- uh, atheistic apologist there's no God. And he was asked directly, what will you say if the day after your life on earth is over, what will you say if God confronts you with his reality? And his honest answer was this, I will say you should have been clearer. Richard Dawkins, you should have made yourself more known to me in my life. That's what he says, and he means it, because he believes he's looking with open eyes and he's not seeing God's presence. Here's the trouble. You, if you believe that that's true, that you're going to have this moment on the other side of eternity where you're going to be able to look God in the face and say, you didn't prove yourself to me, that's a pretty crazy, self-focused way to view life and death. To believe that after death you'll have that kind of power is remarkable. Remarkable. And I want to share with you a scripture from the Gospel of Luke. This is Jesus' own teaching. It comes from Luke 16. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke Amazing passage of scripture. You've heard it before. And I want to read through it, and then I want to talk through a few points with you. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores and longing to eat, and he was longing to eat whatever fell from the rich master's table. Even the dogs came and licked at his sores. 22, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called out, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone were to come, return from the dead and go to them, they will repent. And he answered, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. A story that Jesus teaches about the life after this one. And he tells this narrative. But what I want you to see is what is not here. This rich man, to our modern way of thinking, 
could, could have the right to say what Richard Dawkins says. You, you should have been clear with me. You should have told me this was going to happen. If only I had had warning. But you notice, none of these things were said. I think it's a huge fallacy that we believe that <laughs> as God's creatures, I'm going to try to say this delicately, that we are going to enter the other side and we're going to find ourselves wrongly accused. As a matter of fact, I believe that the grace of Jesus Christ, that the power of his Holy Spirit, is that when we're on the other side and we're facing the awesome majesty of God's glory, and that voice of the accuser comes and says, you are not worthy, you are rightly condemned, you are to be banished forever, you have no right to be in his presence, that in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God will speak and say, this is my son. This is my child. And it will not be us defending ourselves before the throne of God, but it will be our Savior, Jesus Christ, who sits on that throne, ruling rightly. We're going to see that in a minute. And it will, he will be the one that says, this one is mine. And we will find ourselves not wrongly condemned, but wrongly delivered, saved from a just punishment. And that is what we see here. The rich man is not begging, making his case. He's not wagging his finger at God. He sees it. You can't miss the narrative. This was a man who's been rescued by God that laid at this guy's gate, and he wouldn't even look at or touch or acknowledge. The dogs would lick his sores. He was a leper. He was to be despised above all else. And in this eternal reality, he finds himself. He says, if that dirty, filthy man would only take his finger and dip it in the water, he could relieve my burning soul. There's no wrongful accusation. There's only desperation for deliverance. You see, Jesus believed that everyone's faith will come to an end. And in this story, not just Lazarus' faith comes to an end when he is carried to the bosom of Abraham, but so is the rich man's. His faith is at an end. And the things that he had always believed to be true were proven to be wrong. So Jesus teaches himself that all faith will end. I want to share with you a letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Philippian church, speaking of Jesus Christ, and he says, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that every, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow or should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The end of faith who will see the end of faith? I want you to realize that there is an expectation in the Gospels. There's an expectation in the letters to the church that every person should rightly bend a knee to Jesus Christ. 
And I, I tell you, in our culture right now, people go, oh, that's, that's, that's so, you know, that's so close-minded to think that there is an eternal God who we have to worship. Can't we all just worship our own gods? But there's an expectation that Paul lines out in Philippians where he says, there is an expectation that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess, not just that Jesus is real, not just that Jesus existed, but that Jesus Christ is Lord. Expectation on the people of God. Some of us are timid in our faith. We, we, we're afraid to bend a knee to Christ. We're afraid to say, not just Jesus, my Savior, deliver me from this mess, but Lord and Master, King, how can I serve you today? And we try to skirt around the edges of the salvation story, hoping that we can acknowledge him privately and never having to acknowledge him anywhere else. As a matter of fact, I'll share another verse with you. This comes from Romans, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And it says, It is written that as surely as I live, says the Lord Yahweh, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. This is actually taken from the prophet Isaiah. So in Philippians, Paul says, now we should expect that every knee would bow to Jesus Christ. That means from the first time we meet someone who doesn't yet know Christ, we should have an expectation that if God were to have his way by the end, this person will be worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior. But here in Romans, Paul says that God says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Isaiah the prophet says the same thing. Every person will bow and swear to me as God. They will make a proclamation of my position. This is the reality that at the end of faith, every person will recognize God. Every person will recognize God. And not only that, but every person will recognize God's justice in his rule. I hope you see that. Every person will acknowledge him, bow to him, and swear that he is indeed God, which in all of his presence and glory. I want to share another passage with you. This is from the Gospel of Matthew the first gospel, and we're going to turn to uh, Matthew 25. This, again, is Jesus teaching about the Son of Man, and I want you to hear what he believes and proclaims about the reality, starting in verse 31. Jesus says this, when the Son of Man comes, by the way, you'll remember that he refers to himself as a Son of Man, so don't miss that. He's talking about himself. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels will come with him, and he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed to my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Don't miss that. 35, because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Jesus says, at that time, the righteous will answer him, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. He will then turn his attention to those on his left and he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not come look after me. And they will also answer him, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not come to help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus is proclaiming here that at the end of faith, everyone will be separated out. And what he's even proclaiming more clearly than this, there's a lot happening, but he's saying that the way we live now is a confession and testimony to what we actually believe. The, people will say, I have no faith. You have faith because of the way you behave in your life, and so do I. So do I. I'm not excluded from this. And so our life response to the reality of Christ as Lord, as sovereign, as God, is a testimony to what we actually believe, what our faith looks like. And in this moment, he says, there's coming a day when the Son of Man will come in glory, and you will rightly see, you will rightly be judged for the things that you've chosen to do in response to what I've shown you about myself. I love that in both sides, people didn't see it coming. I don't remember seeing you anywhere. Where were you? Jesus proclaims this truth about his kingdom. I want you to notice in the word today. What he says is that when he comes with trumpets sounding, when he comes in his glory, he comes on a throne. He comes as one who rightly judges, who rightly divides who rightly proclaims his own and those who are not his own. And the verse that is repeated throughout this is, then the king will say. Don't miss that. Then the king will say. He's the one with final authority on the heaven, in heaven and on earth. He is the God sovereign before the creation of the world and he has a right to judge and he will. It will be the end of our faith in that moment. And the question is going to be at that, at that crossroads of life, will we be found in him, in Christ, or will we be found to be a goat? A goat separated from his kingdom. Jesus' teaching was very clear on the end of our faith. And on that day, on that day, he will have the final word. I mean, I think that we're so full of ourselves right now. And I'll confess to you, church, me as a pastor, I am too. I, I believe I can pre preach truth in and of myself. It's not true. He proclaims truth. He speaks truth. His word is truth. His spirit is living in you. And he's trying to convince you each day to don't be a goat. Believe the gospel. And believe it in your soul, in your being. Live it out with every fiber of who you are. But man, we are so deluded and we're convinced that we're going to escape somehow. When I get there, it'll be different. 
I'll be, I'll be able to have an argument against his holiness or presence. We're so self-deceived. The king will sit and rule and have the final word. And I believe that what Corinthians says is that every tongue will be ceased. The goats and the sheep. And he will bring about his kingdom and glory forever. The last question that I have for you in this series is kind of where we started is, what will you believe? What will you believe? I think that every day is a decision. I mean it. Every day you can wake up and you can decide, what am I going to believe today? What am I going to believe today about this life that I've been given? What am I going to believe today about the God who is beckoning me to come to him? What am I going to believe about this reality of existence that I've been given? What do I believe my life is going to be about? And that's a struggle every day to not just ask it and to not just answer it in our head, but to live from the place of faith. What will you and I believe? What will you believe? In the book of James, this is a nod to our women's Bible study group. You can turn if you want, but you don't have to. James makes this great proclamation about faith. And James says this, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can that faith even save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If you, one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be fed, but does nothing, how can that faith, to me, what good is that to him? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Some will say, I have faith and you have your work. Show me your faith without your work and I will show you my faith by what I choose to do. You believe there's a God? Great. Even demons believe there's a God. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was it not Abraham himself considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by his behavior. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see, a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And I'm gonna skip down. Verse 20, well, yeah, I'll read 25. In the same way, not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteousness for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Was not she considered righteous? I misread that. And 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, that's last week, so faith without deeds is dead. You and I will choose to live our life about something. And the question is at the end, or today, will our life look like someone who actually believes that Jesus the Christ is king, is Lord, is our master? Matter of fact, that was James. Joshua says this. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers of the God, or the gods of those in the land in which you are currently living. He's saying, make a decision on who you're going to serve today. And then my favorite part of this verse, because it's this moment for him, where he says, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. That comes, that's the sixth book of the Bible. It's like the whole story right there. What will you and I believe about our life? Choose this day whom you will serve. Not only, not only that, though, what are, you gonna, what are you willing to stake your soul on? I mean, what hook are you going to hang everything on all of eternity? Because that's where we're going. The day where our faith will be sight and we'll know fully for good and for bad. And God will have his way and we will bow and we will say you are God, sheeps and goats. The question is, what will our lives have looked like? The striking thing about our culture is that we're very afraid of the future. We're very nervous about what's coming next. And even the hardest skeptics, when they hear crazy things like, the Maya calendar is over, this could be the end of the world, they will stand and they will proclaim, this is not, there was a title, there was a headline that said something like, expert says that the world will not end on December 22nd. But you know, and I know, that there's part of our mind that goes, maybe, maybe. The funny thing about the end of the Maya calendar is that the reason they even know that's the end is because they had a special number, it was 13. And the kings, when they wanted to say something that was really powerful, they would say it was about eternal matters. And this number 13 was going to be the final number, and it was going to move to the final spot, and that's what December 21st is. The whole idea in their culture was that there are eternal things happening, and we should be ready. In spite of what we see right now, we should be ready. And as funny as that is, as I read that, I heard God saying, yeah, be ready. What will you and I believe for eternity? Please pray with me. Father God, you are so much bigger than we can imagine. And you knit things together and you give us eyes to see the way they're all connected and it just boggles our mind. And Lord, I know, I know today there are those here who can't wait for the eternal song. That there are those here who can't wait for those clouds to part. That there are those here who are beckoning in their innermost being, crying out, how much longer must we wait in faith? How much longer will this current world tr tread on us? And yet I know that <laughs> this is your mercy to those who are standing at the door of faith and saying, Oh, if I could only just believe.
I could only have that confidence. Today, Father God, I pray by your power and your Holy Spirit, you would move those hearts and minds into your kingdom. That you would draw them to yourself. That you would label their hearts as your children. You would seal them up with the Holy Spirit. Father, that we can wait patiently for your coming because you're drawing people into your kingdom. Father, you're so big, and we admit that we're just so nervous about things. And I pray that in our heart of hearts that we can have peace in our faith. And I pray, Father God, that if we need to be moved, you would move us toward yourself. The last thing we want, the last thing we want is to see you face to face and not have known you, not have fed you, not have worshipped you, not have clothed you, not have visited you when you were among us. Father, move, break our hearts. Take us away from our selfish gain, our selfish ambition, our closed-minded view of the world, and send us into your kingdom to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim a new kind of ruler, a new kind of authority. And I pray, Lord, that, not, that even as you do it, we would just be walking with you walking with you, having always known you. You are so good. You are so good. And Father, we thank you for your salvation song. Today, help us decide to believe. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.